G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. The late George Goodman, um, you probably haven't heard of him unless you're like an economist or something. Uh, George Goodman was, um, he was this ferocious critic of what went on on Wall Street in the US, you know, the, um, the financial sector, the financiers and bankers and, and money makers and so forth. And he was a critic particularly of their, their arrogance and their pride uh, as they carried themselves there and made an awful lot of money. And he tells this little parable, which I'd like to share with you and open with. And the scene that he describes is this grand um, party, this ball, and um, all of the guests at the party are having a delightful time, but they know that the ball is going to end in disaster, abject disaster. The disaster is coming on everyone at the ball, and yet no one can tear themselves to leave. Um, that's the picture that he sets before us. And, and Goodman, um, he tells this parable against greedy investors, right? Because they're endlessly wringing money um, out of the market and out of the people whose money that they're investing, uh, knowing full well that collapse is coming sooner or later, but they don't quite know when, they just know that it's a matter of time, and yet they can't tear themselves away because they are making so much money uh, along the way as they go. But have a listen, because I also think it is a fantastic little image of life, of how we live our lives, of how we see death, of how death shapes our lives in in sometimes strange ways. Have a listen to this little parable. See if you can picture the scene, in fact. So Goodman writes, we are all at a wonderful ball where the champagne sparkles in every glass and soft laughter falls upon the summer air. We know by the rules, we know that at some moment the black horseman will come shattering through the great terrace doors, wreaking vengeance and scattering the survivors. Those who leave early are saved, but the ball is so splendid. No one wants to leave while there's still time, while there's still time. So that everyone keeps asking, what time is it? What time is it? but none of the clocks have hands. (laughs) It's this absurd little image, isn't it? Um, In other words, you know the end, you know how this is going to end, but you have no idea, you have no clue when it will come all crashing down, this lovely, lively ball, this party, and it may be a, a parable for the financial sector, but isn't it also true of life? Brothers and sisters, this morning I put it to you, well, I put it to you on this first Sunday after Easter Sunday, that for most of us, most of the time, Goodman has painted a pretty good picture of how we put our life together with our death. Would you agree? The ultimate horizon on our lives, which we are all rushing towards and cannot see beyond, is our death. And we hope that it's far off and I think most of the time we can convince ourselves that it's still sufficiently far off, but sometimes every now and again we are looking around for the clocks haunted maybe by the ticking sound that we can hear and yet we can't actually quite figure out exactly when it's going to come. We're haunted by death in that way. Perhaps a little bit of terror creeps in from time to time around the edges of that realisation that that is the horizon within which we must live. But most of the time, most of us, 
We live in denial. Um, Yes, our death is the only horizon that we have, but we force ourselves, don't we, to live in the now, the the wonderful ball where the champagne sparkles in every glass and soft laughter falls upon the summer air. Uh, But here's the great irony for us, brothers and sisters in the Lord. Um, See, traditionally on our Sunday after Easter, we devote um, our sermon to the return of Christ. And that's our tradition. I think it's a marvellous tradition, so I'm um, pretty intent on keeping it going. Um, But if what I've said so far is right, then last Sunday we proclaimed resurrection. He is risen, life from the grave, life beyond death, death defeated and life without end. And yet somehow by this Sunday again, and indeed through much of the week, we're back within the horizon of death, putting it off, living in denial, looking for the clocks, but they have no hands. It's the reality that we either fear or ignore, but it's very much the horizon of our lives, our own death. Isn't it true, fellow believers, that we do seem to find it persistently difficult as Christians to to let the resurrection of Jesus blow off the back of death as the horizon within which we live our lives? And we find it persistently difficult to live with anything other than our own death as the horizon that matters to us and that real, is real to us. How do we begin to live with resurrection? How do we begin to live with the return of Christ as the real horizon, as the believed and felt reality that we live for and that we, we see our lives as fitting within? Paul says here in 1 Thessalonians, it's possible. I mean, it was the hope of the people of God, uh, back the uh, Ezekiel passage, Um, uh, as as flesh comes back wrapped around bones Uh, but Paul says it's possible it's in fact it's the very essence of Christian life I think he's saying here to these Thessalonians Uh, and he means to show us this morning I think or rather God means to show us uh, in his word using his instrument Paul writing to these Thessalonians he means to show us how you and I might live a life enlightened by the return of Christ instead of darkened by the threat of death. So this morning, how to live a life enlightened ahead of the return of Christ. How about we pray as we come to 1 Thessalonians. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, uh, we thank you that you, our God, are not silent. We thank you that you have spoken and you still speak today in your word and by your spirit. And so we ask, oh God, this morning, would you please remind Remind the forgetful amongst us, comfort the grieving. Would you stir up the complacent? Would you encourage the weary? Would you inspire those of us who wander? Father, would you please lead us into repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ today? And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let's take a look together at 1 Thessalonians, starting at uh, verse 13 of chapter 4, because I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Have a look with me. Um, I'm not sure what the presenting problem is exactly for the Thessalonians. You know, you, you read what Paul is writing to them and you kind of think, well, what, what was it exactly that they were wrestling with? Is it that they just feared death, that de- they'd come to fear death, particularly um, in some, some way that their world had changed and suddenly it became a very real fear to them or perhaps, and I think much more likely uh, as we and we'll see as we read through is it that some of their people their loved ones had died recently and they were wondering about their fate or is it that some of their loved ones were very near to death 
And they were wondering, well, what's going to, do I need, does grandpa need to hang on a bit longer when, until the return of Christ? Because if he doesn't, does he miss out somehow? What's going on here? Does that, if he dies before Jesus comes back, does that mean he missed salvation? Is salvation just for the living? Um, see what you make of the, the crisis there for the Thessalonians. Is salvation only for those who are still standing at the return of Christ? Are the living more fortunate than the dead? Perhaps that's what's um, in their mind. And you can see there, can't you, how in their own way, the horizon of their death has started to hem them in and crowd them in, um, even as believers. But no, Paul, as we'll read, uh, wants them to face death as enlightened people, enlightened by the return of Christ. Um, Let's take a look together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Brothers or brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. You can see what he's saying there. Will we get a better deal if we're still standing? Does grandpa need to hang on? You don't need to worry. He's not going to miss out somehow. Uh, Verse 15, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. And then the picture he paints is very much together kind of a picture. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. They'll rise. Verse 17, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. My dear Thessalonians, In your own strange way, death has become the controlling horizon as you face the death of your loved ones. It has come to hem you in and crowd you in and darken your life. And if there is one thing that the events of Easter um, show us, it is this. Christ is not hemmed in by death. Do you believe that, Thessalonians? Death is not Christ's horizon so let it not be yours. And he wants them to believe it so thoroughly to, for this conviction to nourish them, doesn't he? Have a look at verse 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant, he says. Uh, that is, let, let uh, death not be the horizon of your minds, your heads, but not just your heads. We do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve So let it not be the horizon of your heads, let it not be the horizon of your hearts. Grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Head and heart and hope. Will the life of Christ from the dead blow the back off of death so that we can see through to something bigger and something better, can live within a grander horizon for our lives? and for our loved ones. Is that how we approach death? Think about death, think about life on this side of our own deaths? Um, It seems to me that for so much of us, 
Uh, And for so much of life, even as Christians, so much of life in our culture right now is either uh, dedicated to pretending that death doesn't really exist, (laughs) it's not a real thing, it doesn't really, it can't touch you, surely not you, or or devoted to desperately trying at all costs to stave off death's relentless march towards us, or perhaps better, our relentless march towards it and any signs that we might be approaching it. And so we, we struggle and we strive and we feverishly try to get healthy or to, to lose those wrinkles or to conceal or to cover up or whatever. That, now, there's nothing, necess- there's nothing wrong, is there, with pursuing a long life on this planet? It is God's good world. It is a good world that He has placed us in. He has given us good bodies that we should care for with great care and nurture. But could it be, brothers and sisters, that what drives us to, um, I don't know, dye our hair or, or get back in shape or um, could it be that we lack hope like the rest of men? Different motivations, perhaps driving very similar looking actions. Now, just before we move on, and, and uh, perhaps it, it doesn't need saying... Um, uh, but I think it, maybe it's worth saying anyway. Please notice this. Verse 13, does that tell Christians you shouldn't grieve? Have a look at verse 13 with me. Is that telling you that you, Christian, you shouldn't grieve because, well, our dearly departed, we know they'll rise, so don't grieve. Uh, grief is a sign of unbelief. Is that what verse 13 is saying? Let's take a look together because, no, no, what is the promise there? I think it's not that we grieve less, it's not that we grieve less deeply. What's the word there? It's not that we grieve more quickly and get on with our lives. But we have this, don't we, Christians? If we live, if you live and die in the light of Christ's return, what does it say? You will not grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. There is a different character to our grief. It's not a grief that you hurry up and get through. It's not a grief that is less or less deep, but it has a different character. And for this very moment, she may be gone, gone from your life, gone from our company, or he may be gone. But can you see the horizon, Christian? Do you see her hope? Do you see his hope one day nearer? We need not grieve like the rest of men, but we will still grieve. Live by the light of Christ's life, or indeed die by the light of Christ's life. Uh, But Paul's second point, really, and where he moves next, it kind of looks in entirely the other direction. It's still broadly under the same heading. He wants them to think about the horizon of their lives, but he's now looking in the other direction. Because if he said, live by the light of Christ's life or Christ's return, live by, uh, live or die by the light of Christ's life. Now he's saying, live in the light of Christ's death, I think, from chapter 5, verse 1 and onwards. And you might wonder, well, how on earth does anyone live by the light of someone's death? I mean, honestly, I can, you can see the return of Jesus, how that is a light that you want to live by. It's like a light at the end of the tunnel, isn't it? It's fantastic. There's darkness all around. You can see the return of Christ and that's the horizon I want to live for and that's what I want to be heading towards. But Jesus' death, how is that a light to live by? But chapter 5, brothers and sisters, basically tells us this, that the death of Christ, 
Way back there, the death of Christ is the light from God that lights your way every step to the return of Christ. That is, Christian, you do not need to know when he comes back exactly if you are living by the light of the death of Christ. Christian, you don't need to wonder whether or not it will be a good thing for you personally when Christ does return. Christian, you already know how to live in the meantime if you are living by the light of the death of Christ. Uh, Just live in the light of the death of Christ and that will see you through. Let's read it together from chapter 5, verse 1. Now, brothers or brothers and sisters, now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Now, does that mean, no, it doesn't mean, does it? He doesn't mean all you Christians will know. He doesn't mean you'll know, as in it won't surprise you because you'll know when it's coming or you'll see it coming a little bit ahead of time. No, no, the point is just, (laughs) you're already ready now. He could come any time. And if you're living by the death of Christ, in the light of the death of Christ, you are ready now. He can come any time. Verse 5, you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. So, brothers and sisters, will you, will we live our lives between these two horizons? Will we live in the light of Christ's death and will we live by the light of Christ's return? Will that be the persistent uh, horizon that encompasses our lives or will we think just in terms of our death? How many days we've got left, how many years we've got left? And may I just say, especially to you here today, if um, you, you, you believe, but perhaps only tentatively, you believe that, yes, Jesus will come back, yes, he, he rose from the dead, that was last weekend, uh, and the Bible says that he's coming back, so, yeah, I, I, I guess I tentatively, you know, I believe that Jesus, is, he'll come back sometime. If that's you, a little bit, I guess, tentative in your convictions, and the thought that Jesus will come back one day... If that is a thought that troubles you, troubles you because you know you're not really ready to face him at the present time, troubles you, unsettles you perhaps because you haven't lived in the light or however you want to describe this good and godly life that's here in the passage in front of us, can I just say you cannot live by the light of Christ's return unless you also live by the light of Christ's death for you. 
You cannot live by the light of Christ's return and see it as a light, a bright shining light that beckons you forward unless you also live in the light of Christ's death for you. The comfort in Christ's death is not that all the good people, sorry, the comfort in Christ's return is not that all the good people, the enlightened people, the people who have walked well enough in this age, done well enough in this life, lived sufficiently upright and enlightened lives, that the, the, the comfort in Christ's return is not that all the good ones will get in and gosh, I hope you're one of them. No, what does this passage say? Have a look at it again with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, where it says, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. If the thought of Christ's return, no, if the reality, the certainty, the Bible's promise of Christ's return troubles you, perhaps even fills you with dread when it comes in on you from time to time, here is your comfort and won't you take hold of it with both hands? He died for us so that we may live together with him. And so to close, verse 11, take a look at that one with me. Verse 11 of chapter 5, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you were doing or at the end of chapter 4, verse 18 is almost exactly the same and so we will be with the Lord forever. 4 verse 18, therefore encourage each other with these words. There's something extraordinary here, I think, because the enlightened life lives between these two horizons, not not of our own death, but of the death of Christ and the return of Christ. We live the enlightened life life that God would have us live when we live between those two horizons, the death of Christ for us, His return with us. But right now, the enlightened life lights the way for one another and it's funny isn't it because when you hear the word enlightenment and people pursuing enlightenment in our popular kind of reading of the word uh, the way some religions talk about enlightenment it is this strictly private affair isn't it Uh, it, it's me and reality me and my mind and and figuring out the world it's this personal pursuit and the bible says that's rubbish we arrive there together we get to go there together and we journey there together And we light the way for one another. That's what the enlightened life is about. So we grieve together and we learn together and we hope together. And yes, sometimes we forget and lose sight and drift off course together. We become enwrapped in the the sparkling champagne and the, the soft laughter in the summer air. But brothers and sisters of Good News Christian Church, let us be a people through thick and thin, who inspire one another to let Christ be our horizon, his death for us, his return with us. Let us light the way for one another. And how about we pray?
Our great God and Heavenly Father, in your wisdom and grace, you didn't appoint for us to suffer wrath for our sin, but to receive salvation through Christ. And sometimes, God, we wonder, why did you pick us? It certainly wasn't because we were so lovely or enlightened or wonderful. It was entirely your grace. And God, we know it wasn't because we showed such potential that you promised the return of Christ for us. But but again, entirely your generous kindness to us. What an amazing hope we share together that can take the very sting from death itself. Lord God, please reveal to us, to each of us, the ways in which we live like the rest of men who have no hope. Would you reveal to us the ways that we live and think, the ways that we plan and party in ways that just don't speak of Christ? And God, would you keep reshaping us We don't want to live like the rest. We want to live enlightened lives and we want to spur one another on in that, walk alongside one another toward that. Lastly, God, we do pray for us, some of us especially at the moment, in our griefs and sadnesses. For the time being, we live in a world of tears, of disappointment, of pain, yes, even of death. God in heaven, we long for this world's redemption, for its transformation, for its renewal at your hand and with the return of Christ. But God, please help us even now to be tender with one another where it's hard for us to see the light. May we be patient and gentle. May we be just great at coming alongside one another with the light of Christ. But to do that with tact and care, that knows how to minister to each other in these days of waiting. Father, speed the return of Jesus, we ask, and keep us until that day. Amen.